Welcome to the Stacking Slabs podcast. Join Brett to get the latest sports cards investment advice, hear from industry experts that are deep in the trenches, and find out when to turn left when the rest of the market is going right. Get eBay ready, get PayPal ready. Let's be students of the game and stack those slabs. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Hobby Hustle. It is Friday on the Stacking Slabs podcast, and you know what that means. An opportunity to learn from a great collector in the hobby community, and that is what I'm bringing to you. I'm curating great collectors, and we got my man Sierra at California Card Collector on the program today. A lot of insights, a lot of nuggets on how to operate in the sports card market. I learned a ton. You're going to enjoy this one. You haven't already. Make sure you sign up for the Stacking Slabs weekly rip newsletter yes sir the first newsletter is hitting all those inboxes today on launch day of the hobby hustle it is an opportunity for me to share some other thoughts on the market this crazy industry that we all love and also put over and promote other great collectors that are doing cool stuff in the hobby this newsletter is something that you're going to want on your inbox it is going to be something that I think you'll enjoy. All you have to do is go to my Instagram account at Stacking Slabs, click the link, drop your email. You're going to get that newsletter every week. I will have the link also in the show notes. Sign up for it. Without further ado, this is a good one. Let's kick it to the conversation. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to the Hobby Hustle. I have a collector here who I've been following for some time, and I think a lot of you follow him too. I got Sierra at California Card Collector on IG. We're going to cover a lot of ground. We were uh, talking before I hit record, and I just know there's a lot of meat on the bone of this conversation. Um, but without further ado, how you doing today, Sierra? I'm good, Brett. I'm excited to be here been a big fan of your show. I love the positive messages you're putting out every single day to the hobby. There's obviously a lot of, uh, you know, uh, positive and negative going on in the hobby. And uh, I, you know, I enjoy your daily dose of inspiration. Thanks, man. And I appreciate that. I was looking back actually in our messages and I didn't realize we've had a ton of correspondence over the, the past several months. And I think a lot of it, and I'm going to start here because I think a lot of it started with uh, during football season when Philip Rivers became the Colts quarterback, and you being a uh, you know a San Diego Chargers fan for a while. I feel like during those weeks, you'd give me some nuggets about just like experiences you had as a fan with Rivers and what to expect, this and that. So as I was going back through our messages, I didn't realize how much we had talked about Rivers, but we talked a ton about him. Well, I mean, yeah, I spent 15 years as a San Diego Charger fan. You know, to be quite honest, I don't really have a football team I follow at this point. I'm, you know, the NFL has has not been kind to me in terms of my rooting interests. I grew up in, you know, Southern California. I, I grew up a Rams fan and a Raiders fan. The, the Raiders actually used to do their uh, their training camps in my hometown. So I'd go to, you know, I've got a ton of Raider autographs. Those teams left town. I moved to San Diego in 1995, uh, became a Chargers fan a few years later, uh, had season tickets to see Ryan Leaf, you know, his rookie year. (laughs) Uh, I I had a lot of fun. Um, I was all in as a Chargers fan. I I, I witnessed a lot of disappointment, Uh, some great teams. You know, we had some some really good teams. We went uh, 14 and 2, 13 and 3. 12 pro bowlers on a team. You know, the Chargers drafted in one draft, Drew Brees and LT back-to-back picks. Um, I think they drafted six pro bowlers in one draft. Um, like Darren Sproles was their fifth, fifth round pick. Wes Welker was off the practice squad. I mean, they, they really kind of hit uh, for a number of years there, but for one reason or another, they could never get it done. A lot of it kind of came down to ownership and being cheap kind of on the margins, I felt like. Um, maybe a little bit of bad luck. Tom Brady, you know, won too many times. It was like our Michael Jordan, you know, stopping all the other 80 stars from winning a, a, a championship. And, uh, you know, it was rough. And they, they left town too. So basically every team I've ever rooted for in the NFL has left the city that I live in. 
And uh, so I'm kind of a free agent. So it was fun watching the Colts last year. Reminded me a lot of those kind of uh, memories I had of watching Rivers, right? You know, winning quarterback, had a great season. And, and frankly, the game they lost in the playoffs, they, they had opportunities to win that game. But um, for one reason or another, they came up a little short. And uh, so I, I, I felt your pain in that moment. It didn't hurt me quite as much. I'd, I'd lived it a few times. But uh, it was fun watching him this year. And uh, I think he still has more left in the tank. And frankly, I was surprised he, he retired. Yeah, so was I. And I was telling my wife this, especially after the, the Wentz acquisition on the Colts side. I never thought in a million years that my quarterbacks would go from Rivers to Wentz. And these guys that I not, wasn't necessarily a fan of uh, became such a fan of. Um, especially Rivers, right? The year with him, I feel like I got the chance to appreciate what a lot of Chargers fans appreciated for so much years. And that's going to take me to a post that you put. We're going to stay on just the Rivers front for a minute here, but it'll get into the broader collecting uh, conversation. You posted a Rivers National Treasure card, which I think is amazing, incredible patch. You said, my PC is comprised almost solely on players I rated for throughout my life, players that I cared about who exuded passion and in turn earned my respects. respect. One of the guys I still root for to this day is Philip Rivers. And that, like, the, the way you captured that, I think is, is important because I think a lot of people out there, when they go out and they collect players, they try to, it, there's a passion there. It's someone you're watching someone you're appreciating enough to not only cheer for, but to take hundreds and in a lot of cases, thousands of dollars and going and buying their sports cards. So talk to me about like that post and how that directs kind of the way you operate in the sports card market. Yeah, well, I mean, I think just about everybody I actively PC or collect, I have some connection to. In fact, even the cards that I'm looking to flip, they're typically cards that are players that, you know, that I love and that I like. It just makes it easier, uh, you know, spending money when you're spending money on, on guys that you have an enthusiasm for, guys that you have a passion for, guys that you, you care for. So, you know, for me, a lot of that's Laker, Laker cards, Laker greats. Um, I'm a huge Kobe collector. I've got an 86 Fleer Laker set. You know, I put that together. Um, I'm a big Russell Wilson PC guy. I've gotten a little deeper into Kareem lately and picking up some of his stuff from the 70s. You know, every time I write a post, I try to, you know, put a little story behind it. You know, I, some guys, they like just posting a, a picture um, and a few words, but everything I write in there, I mean, and, uh, you know, Philip Rivers gave me whatever it was, 10, 15 years of entertainment, and he really left everything on the field. and so. You know, I truly felt that way about him. And and frankly, cards like that, that National Treasures card, it's so nice, but it was like 120 bucks, something like that. And I'm not saying 120 bucks is nothing, but for a lot of these other cards that I'm collecting, you can't get anything close to that nice with a game use patch, an auto uh, of a Hall of Fame player who's a top, I think, five all time in, in passing yards for what amounts to kind of like a bowl, bowl, like silver prism, you know, PSA nine. Right. The, I, the bowl, bowl, I, that is going to live on forever. I think that that, that, that that moment in time and what happened after will always be a reference point that pops up in hobby podcasts like this one. So I, well, I, I think I got five bowl bowls at PSA right now. So <laughs> let's hope you get some playing done. You're not the only one I would imagine. I think everyone who roots for the Nuggets like has some complaint or gripe about either Bull Bull or Michael Porter Jr. not getting enough playing time. Oh, yeah, ab- absolutely. So before we hopped on, I was talking about an auction that I just lost and how competitive, you know, how competitive these auctions are in this current market and current state and just the prices that continue to elevate. Now, you mentioned you're a Kobe collector, which wow, like at this point, it's like, I'm just an observer. And it's like, what, what's going on in that market? It, it, it makes sense, right? Based on who Kobe Bryant is, Kobe Bryant's appreciation throughout not only the hobby, but, you know, broader culture. But like, talk to me about what, 
what being a Kobe Bryant collector is during feels like and is like during this state of madness in the hobby? You know, it is uh, it's truly kind of like, uh, you know, I'm thinking back to high school here. What was it? Uh, A Tale of Two Cities, right? It's the best (laughs) of times. It's the worst of times. It's uh, an age of wisdom. It's an age of foolishness, right? Like, you know, as a seller, it's the best of times, right? I mean, prices have never been higher. As a collector and as a buyer, it's the worst. Like everything is super expensive. Um, that said, I'm still actively buying. You know, I was just reconciling my books for the month, and um, I'm still actively buying Kobe. Uh, it's definitely gotten harder. There's a ton of competition. Uh, I'd let go of some Kobe cards recently. I let go of my my uh, Topps Chrome PSA 10 rookie card, which was a card that one of the first cards I bought when I came back to the hobby, but at the same time, it's, it was a card that I was sitting on almost a 20 X game. And, you know, frankly, I never really loved the cards. There were a lot of other cards I had in my Kobe PC uh, that were both either rookies or refractors that I just like a lot more. And so I think in a market like this, especially if you're collecting somebody like Kobe where it just gets so expensive, the only way you can really kind of rationalize it um, and be prudent about it is you've got to be willing to kind of sell some of your cards um, and take advantage of, of, you know, the market because, uh, you know, just simple base refractors are selling for like three, four, five thousand $5,000, right? I mean, this is big money for a piece of cardboard. And some of the more rare stuff, you know, you're talking easily five figures, the autographs, most of the autographs, if it's an on-card autograph or $10,000 or more now. And um, the only way you can really take advantage of, or or the only way you really are able to buy any of that stuff is you've got to be willing to kind of let go of some of your other pieces that maybe have seen similar appreciation. I I think this is such an important topic because a lot of people who are passionate about collecting in this hobby, they just collect specific players. So it's not like they don't have like, you know, Oh, I've got my five, you know, bull bull PSA 10 silvers that I'm or stack 10 of them that I'm going to keep selling. And I don't give a shit about these cars. I'm just going to keep selling them and get in money. Then I'm going to go buy some more Kobe's. It, it, It typically doesn't, I mean, it does at some scale for some people, but that's not the standard. What I'm running into myself and what, I run into with a lot of different conversations is people are having to give up some of those cards of those players that they love. And I think it's, for me, it's, it's a uh, element of you have some time with these cards. You're trying to gain access to more cards. So you have to, you know, give up some of what you had. And you mentioned with the, the Kobe card, it's like, you know, 20 X, it's a base card. Yes, it is a, it is an iconic card, but there, there reaches a point where you're just like, I need to take these profits, right? Yeah. I mean, I think you talk about this a lot of just being active in the hobby, right? And, and keeping busy. And for me, um, to keep myself in check, I'm always willing to sell something, right? So I'm always kind of subbing and grading and buying but in order for me to always be on the buying end of things, I've also always got to be actively, you know, selling or trading. And it doesn't mean I'm selling all my best stuff. Typically, you know, a lot of the stuff that I'm sending in for kind of bulk grading that kind of comes in. I hear you talk about this a lot. You know, you you sell things quick on eBay, and I do I do that as well. Um, but you know, uh, I recently I finished that big uh, Kobe Bryant refractor run where I collected every single Topps Chrome refractor from 1997 through th- 2009, and uh, look, it was one of the most fun projects I've ever done in collecting. I learned so much about all those sets. You know, I can tell you kind of the print runs on all the different parallels. I can tell you which years have gold and which ones have white refractors, and uh, but in the end, you know, I got to the end. I'm like, I'm sitting on 16 Kobe Bryant refractors. They all have tremendous value, you know, to varying degrees. And, you know, I, I looked at my collection and, uh, you know, I want to diversify it a little bit, um, either with other players or with just different types of Kobe's, maybe add an autograph, start getting into the 90s, uh, inserts, that sort of thing. And so, 
you know, I kept my favorite six or seven of those cards and, you know, I packaged up the rest. Uh, it was hard to say goodbye. But um, what I found is once you actually sell those things and you let go of them, you know, you get over it pretty quick, right? Yeah, it's it's out of sight, out of mind. And what you touched on, this journey you had collecting these Kobe refractors from every year, it's sometimes the chase it's more inspiring than actual ownership of the cards. It's almost like you're when your team's chasing the championship or Super yeah. Bowl, you know, every year it's the heartbreak, you lose an auction or this and that. But then, you know, at this point you got them all and you're just like, all right, what, what do I do next? You know, what do I do next? And, um, you know, it, it also, one nice thing about a chase like that, it, it keeps you focused. Right. And I think, where you can get into trouble in this hobby is when you lose focus and you just start buying things for the sake of buying things, right? And we've all been guilty of that. You have a little bit of money sitting in the PayPal and then something catches your eye. You, you know, I had this happen last week where there was this Kareem card and I think I'm still pretty happy with the purchase. And, uh, you know, guy posted it for sale and I, I floated in an offer thinking there's no way he'll accept this. Right. You know, and I forgot about it. And then it's like six hours later, like, congratulations. You, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, holy crap, I just spent a lot of money. <laughs> the, the, and, and it does fit in the PC. You know, it's like, I am working on this like Kareem run. Uh, but, you know, I didn't intend to spend that much money that day on that card. It just kind of happened. And, you know, if that happens three, four five times over the course of the month, it really adds up. Yeah, what's super dangerous, I don't think I've ever heard anyone talk about it, but what you just described reminded me of something I go through, and I know everyone listening goes through this, is the danger with you have a little money because maybe you just got a PSA sub in, you sold a bunch of stuff, and you're kind of on a buying spree, and then you're floating some offers to people, and then you... <laughs> You just kind of forget about it. And in forgetting about it, you start buying other cards. And then two days go by and they accept the offer. And then all of a sudden you're just like, uh-oh. That's exactly what happened to me. I mean, I got cashed out by PWCC on like 17th of the month. And it's like, you suddenly, you feel like uh, you, you've got money to spend. And <laughs> you start, you know, uh, before you know it, you, you, I don't want to say you get in over your head. But if you float too many offers, you got to be ready for, you know, the seller to accept, you know? So, um, I'm somebody, if somebody accepts the offer, offer, I'm going to go through with it. And, um, frankly, I think I got a great card. It was the 75 Kareem, which is his first card in a Lakers uniform. And some of the seventies vintage stuff, it's, I know it's not like the focus of the hobby right now, but it's like, I looked at this card, it's a PSA nine. And for 1975, Tops, which is the only set that made cards in 1975, there are six PSA 10s and there are 30 PSA 9s. But of those 30, 14 of them, um, you know, what is it, like off center or they've, mm -hmm. you know, they've got a, um, a designation. So there's really only 16 PSA 9s for the whole set. And I look at what I paid and I'm thinking like, well, this is still actually like relative value to what you're paying for today's cards. For a guy that won six MVPs, six rings, all-time you know, points leader, the most iconic basketball shot in the history of, of basketball with the skyhook. Um, and a guy that's also just, you know, he's a humanitarian, he's an actor, and he's an advocate for the NBA. So, I mean, I like buying guys like that. and. And frankly, even though I wasn't really prepared to spend money that day, I do feel good about that purchase. Yeah, and I think it's the punchline of that is spending time in the pop reports. And when you and that's the best thing, I think, is when are doing research on a card or a player, you're digging in and you start seeing numbers on cards that low because it's like, all right, well, if someone else has this card raw, the odds of them subbing it and it getting a nine or a 10, there's probably no chance, right? So those are the types of opportunities that I like that not listening to kind of what the market is saying, but then going and finding that because there are going to be moments in time where Kareem pops up and people are going to be like, oh, Kareem, he's one of the best ever. And then that card I'm sure is going to, you know, shoot up and hopefully double and triple. And then maybe you're like, all right, well, I had fun enjoying this card. Now I can maybe sell it and go 
maybe move up and buy a Kobe card that I've been wanting for a while. And believe it or not, that vintage market, it's it's moved a lot. I mean, I, I actually sold an 86 Fleer Kareem and I was, you know, just looking at, at, at the numbers today. I mean, I sold it for 450 bucks. It was a PSA 8, but I bought the same card like a year and a half ago for $39, you know? God. So a lot of these cards... Um, you know, we don't see them as much kind of on Instagram. You and I kind of, I think, follow a lot of the same people and run a lot of the same kind of, you know, groups. But a lot of the vintage stuff is moving. Um, it really is kind of a uh, rising tide lifts all boats kind of situation mm-hmm. right now, especially in basketball. And I actually think there's still a lot of opportunities with grading with a lot of these cards from kind of the late 90s, early to mid 2000s. Maybe not so much for like the LeBron cards and, and the Kobe markets getting trickier, but it's important to remember that in the early 2000s and certainly the late 90s, people were not grading most of the cards that they pulled out. You know, maybe the LeBron, you know, cards got submitted, um, but a lot of the cards didn't. And so what I look for when I'm buying raw cards and I'm looking for opportunity is I'm looking for that seller that has seen something in the news about, you know, kind of the market right now. And they've had all this stuff sitting in binders or in top loaders in the closet for 15, 20 years. Right. And they're sitting on a bunch of like random refractors and things like that. And they're like, holy crap, like I can sell this. And I mean, I can tell you, I just saw a few months ago, uh, a card that ended up grading as a PSA nine, but it was a, a 2005 tops Chrome gold refractor of Kobe Bryant, a card that sells for over $10,000 now, like eight o'clock at night, a zero feedback seller. And I tried haggling with the person for like 500 bucks for this card. And somebody else I knew kind of swooped in, bought the card. And um, things like that still happen on eBay. You know, people get on there, they see something in the news and they're like, what are all these cards sitting in the closet? And they start posting stuff. And uh, there are still opportunities on things. And even just with Kobe, who I follow closely, you can go look at Kobe's pop report versus LeBron's pop report. And it's about 50%, you know, the number of cards that have been graded versus LeBron. So, you know, that other 50% exists somewhere. And it's most likely, again, it's sitting in somebody's binder. um, It's sitting in a top loader. It's sitting in a closet somewhere. And, you know, I'm talking about Kobe. So guys like Kevin Garnett or other players that that are collectible, there's X-Fractors, Refractors, all those things just kind of sitting out there that have been ungraded. Um, it is obviously harder. You can't really expect Gem Mint 10s on everything you're buying that's 10, 15 years old. But um, a lot of those cards were treated well. Um, and so there are opportunities to, to build your PC, I think, still through grading some of the older stuff. Yeah, and I think there are so many players during that that period of time that growing up, high school, college, they were there's your gold standards, right? Your Jordans, your uh, LeBrons, and your Kobe's. But there are so many other guys in the mix there during throughout those decades that maybe haven't got any hobby attention, but they might start getting hobby attention at some point. So. I think for me, when I think about just the vast variety of players, like I'm talking about guys that like, you know, when I was in school, everyone had their jersey and stuff like Penny Hardway, Vince Carter, like all of these guys, um, you know, their cards and sets like Topps Chrome, Refractors, like all of those types of cards, like are cards that I think are have potential and you know, I'm not here to like tell everyone to go buy Penny Hardway cards or Vince Carter cards or whoever. But I think when you're trying to think about ways to go buy your Kobe Bryant cards that are out of range right now, you kind of got to take some risks and chances. And I think a good place to start is with players that were relevant at some period of time. And then most importantly, like the product or set for which those cards are in that might be popular now, but that card just hadn't gotten attention. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I think, um, especially for some of the sets that like, you'll just never really be able to afford. Right. So like you want like an, like a 98 atomic refractor of Kobe. Well, that card might be way outside your price range, but you can go get a 98 atomic refractor of somebody else, right. Fill in the blank. Like 
maybe not Tracy McGrady, because I think that's his rookie year, but like Allen Iverson or something like that, right? Like a star who's maybe one, one or two notches down. So, so yeah. And I, uh, I, I do think like, uh, those next tier players are starting to, you know, see a little bit more love. I see, you know, my timeline, people collecting Hakeem Elijah on now, Allen Iverson's somebody who's gotten a lot of uh, hobby attention of late. I don't see it a lot, but guys like Paul Pierce, the guy won a the mm. guy won championship, Ray Allen, multiple championships. Uh, Tim Duncan gets a little bit of love. Um, but I think a lot of the emphasis, even with those guys, it's really just still their rookie cards. And there's a lot of other cards kind of between the beginning and end of their career that, you know, that yield a lot of potentially yield a lot of hobby love. T- definitely. Um, and I want to get into kind of, I know you've got a diverse palette and I want to get into that, but I want to maybe get into the more like the responsible conversation first. And you mentioned reconciling your books, um, which is important. I think talk to me about like a month for you, like you're walking into a new month. There's probably buying, there's probably selling, there's probably some PSA stuff. Like talk to me about like your general level of activity and, and what you're looking to accomplish like month over month. Well, so first off, I don't run, I don't run things necessarily to make a profit, right? Like I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I recognize that every card there's a financial transaction involved with. I'm just trying to be financial, financially responsible with my collecting, right? So I want to make sure that my selling is kind of in line with my purchasing, you know, but really for me, that just involves every single purchase tracking when I purchased it, how I purchased it you know, what costs were involved with that, with selling. Um, Did I sell it on Instagram? Did I sell it friends and family? Was it goods and services? Did I sell it on eBay? Um, I've been using consignment a little bit more. So I've used PWCC. I've used Nick at the Wharf Sports Cards. He's got, I think, 40 slabs actively for sale for me right now. And so uh, in terms of my level of activity, you know, you have to be adaptable. So for a long time, I was buying a lot of raw and grading a lot of cards. I've definitely kind of pivoted to buying more graded cards of late. Um, but I'm still, you know, I'm still buying raw cards as well. So that means on any given month, I'm probably doing one or two small PSA sl- subs directly. And I usually just use Express for most of the stuff that I'm buying now. Um, and because of that, it also means that I'm I'm typically buying a higher value card than I used to buy, right? Like I used to go swoop up a bunch of $10 cards, throw them in a, a $10 bulk sub and, you know, voila, you know, 6 months <laughs> later you're you're realizing 10x on on your your purchase and sale, but it's so hard to kind of predict where the market's going to be in 6, 7, 8, 9 months. I'd rather go for that card that's like 200 to like 600 raw that I can rationalize spending the $75 getting it graded where now that card, you know, if it's a, if it's a nine, you know, maybe it's 800, 900 bucks. If it's a 10, it's like a two or $3,000 card. So for me, staying busy just involves buying raw cards, making sure I'm getting subs in regularly at the end of each month. I'm reconciling all my books to make sure I'm keeping everything updated so that at the end of the year, I'm not like, you know, what just happened. And, um, I'm always selling something. So I'm, you know, I'm actively selling and then beyond it, it's like, I think the most important thing in the hobby is really just kind of staying in contact with your network, your friends, your hobby friends, um, and just staying connected with people. Um, because I think that's like, that's what I actually enjoy the most about the hobby is really just kind of the friendships you make your network, um, and just catching up with people and talking cards. Totally. And people like, I, I agree on that front. People look out for you. Like if you're out there you're posting Kobe Bryant's or putting stuff in your stories, and I'm sure you've got this a million times, someone shoots you a, a DM with, hey, Sierra, do you see this auction? Want to make sure you, you, you saw it. And then, <laughs> you know, like I, that happens to me all the time with different cards. And I'm like, yeah. I, I didn't see it, but now I have to hit watching. And now like that, I mean, but that's just people like you building relationships and people knowing what you like and helping you out. Yeah. I mean, and I think it's important. Like I've got a lot of friends in the hobby at just kind of different levels. Right. You know, some of them are, are way above me in terms of like 
where they're at with things. Like I've got a buddy, he's got nine Kobe Bryant credentials rookies. And like there's a BGS nine for sale right now for like 130 grand at golden, you know? And I'm just like, I did a deal with a guy and I'm like holding these cards and he's got like two AIs as well. And I'm just like, this is just like a different level, right? Like I'm not, I'm not on that level, but it's somebody who's been in the game, you know, just a lot longer than me. And that's, that's, you know, your time in the hobby, I think speaks a lot, you know, in terms of kind of who you are as a collector and, and, you know, frankly, the longer you've been in the hobby, probably the better you've done. But then I've got guys that, you know, they're, you know, they're PCs, you know, they're, they're aspiring, you know, they're trying to, you know, level up themselves. And so like, as I upgrade things, they might take things off my hands. Right. So you kind of, you build that kind of, um, you know, that infrastructure in your business where basically you've got guys that are doing the same thing that are above you and they're feeding you cards kind of as they become available. And then, you know, maybe that you have to free up something in your PC and you know, kind of uh, one of your buddies mad or, or whatever might just take this card off your hands because, you know, it's, it's a card he's been eyeing. So, you know, having that network, uh, it really allows you to kind of have flexibility and kind of buying and selling things, you know, on a whim and, and just also kind of the support, right? Like when I was doing those tops, Chrome refractors, I had buddies who had their eyes and ears open, you know, all across the hobby, looking for things, letting me know what they were hearing or seeing, or, you know, tagging me and things. And uh, it just makes your life a lot easier as a collector when you kind of have that support. Totally. And it's, uh, you also realize who you're competing against in all of these auctions yeah. too for some of these cards. Oh, yeah. Oh, uh, so yeah. one thing, what one thing before we move on to, I want to talk about your diverse palette, but I want to, I want to talk, something you mentioned was there's a range, like I think 200 to 600, you say of like raw cards that you're looking to pursue. I, I do the same thing because I figure, I figure if the card is of that value, it's not like, you know, your base prism that's being all picked through. So there's probably, um, there's probably, it's probably in a certain condition you can do the looking yourself and message the seller. But a lot of people I know are a little uh, scared, I guess, to maybe purchase raw at that high of a price. Like, do you have any um, safety mechanisms you put into place just to make sure that when you get that card back in in the mail, there's not just like a huge surface issue or something that's going to drastically impact the value of it before you send it off to grading? Um, yeah. I mean, so I, I've got, uh, you know, a magnifying glass. I've got the microfiber. I mean, I, I look over every card with a magnifying glass before I grade it. And I mean, I've bought literally hundreds of uh, raw cards probably over the last year. I, I'd say there's actually only one card that I bought raw that I really regret buying raw versus buying the graded version of that, which was the, um, the, uh, the Kobe Bryant star day card, which, you know, w- was in the news a lot recently due to the run up on that card and, uh, a PSA 10, when I was, you know, I picked up on these star dates and I was like, man, this is a really awesome card. And, uh, I had been just on like a gem mint 10 tear. Like I was, I was gemming everything like old cards. It didn't matter. And I felt like I could, I could do better just buying everything raw versus buying it graded. And, uh, I bought that, you know, I passed on a $600 PSA 10 and I bought for 130 bucks. I bought this raw copy and I, I knew the second I got the card <laughs> like, oh, card is jacked, you know, it's like surface issues. Oddly enough, it ended up, you know, getting a PSA seven, which is still, um, for what it, it's value is today. It's like 20 X, like $130 I paid for it. <laughs> But that $600 PSA 10 that I, I pass on, and I remember, you know, when I got the card raw, those cards had already taken off and it was like $1,200 for a PSA 10. And I'm like, well, I missed the boat, you know, 1200 bucks, <laughs> never going to get it now. You know, I'll just, I'll, I'll grade this one. And uh, in fact, I, I decided not to grade it for a while, but you know, when those cards started taking off and getting noticed, I got it graded anyway. Right. You win some, you lose some. Uh, you definitely have to inspect the cards before you you send them off for grading, and uh, I you know I don't do any. There's no magic, you know. It's it's basically a microfiber. Wipe it down, check the corners. You know, I use PSA most of the time, and I feel like with PSA, they're toughest on on corners and surface. You know, mm-hmm. more so than centering. You know, if the centering's bad, they're not going to gem it. But 
if it's if it's close and everything else checks out, they might. Um, but I swear a corner has the slightest ding or, you know, maybe that little kind of plastic tear is pulling away a little bit. Or you see the one little, you know, uh, scratch on the surface or anything. You just you know it's like an automatic nine at best. Basically. <laughs> Dude, I just I, I just went through this with my uh, uh, Jonathan Taylor uh, championship ticket card. I was I stared at the card a hundred times and I just kept looking at the corners and I'm just like that bottom right corner. It's just a little bit off. So I know if I send it to PSA, it's going to get a nine. So I sent it to Beckett just to get the yes. Yeah. I mean, that's what I think a lot of people do. And I'm just, I'm frankly, I can't deal with like their website. So oh, I don't it's, do it. It's a, yeah. It's, it's like, it's literally a 1990s website. <laughs> um, it feels like you're going to click on the website and like some sort of like, uh, you're going to get some sort of like Trojan horse installed <laughs> on your computer. And it's, you're 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 gonna be compromised. Um, yeah, you're still using like at least the last time I did Beckett, which it's been admittedly a, a few months, but it you know it's like the paper form. You send it in. You don't really know when they get your card. You don't know when it's coming back. There's no you know. I know people like to complain about PSA, but you know you can log into the website and you can you get status updates you know they've got barcodes now that you, you you get a scan when they receive it you know so you know beckett is really i you know and i like beckett i've got a lot of cards in in bgs slabs but you really just wish they would it step up their game a little bit because i i mean honestly it's like i think they're in danger of like losing to some of these up and coming grading companies you know they still have the brand name but um they're not making kind of like, you can't really see what the direction of the company is, right? It's not like they're even in the news, like saying, hey, this is what we're looking to do. We understand the problem. It's it's kind of like, you know, they're mum about the, the grading scandal. Um, the website doesn't show any like signs of, of being up to date. The pop report is like, I mean, it's, I don't even check the pop reports generally anymore. I just kind of, I extrapolate based on what the PSA site says, because there's just so many steps you have to go through on their website to kind of figure anything out. Yeah. The, the, the hobby challenge for everyone out there is we won't, I promise this won't be throwing BGS under the mud too much, but hobby challenge for everyone, go try to get on their pop report on your mobile phone. And once you get the card, like try to like make sense of it. That's, that's, (laughs) <laughs> it's it's a wild thing and i mean look it's reflecting in the values i mean i watched a couple of um you know kind of back to kobe here for a second the you know the 2008 tops chrome uh x fractor there was a bgs 95 and there was a psa 10 and they both ended minutes apart on the last pwcc auction and the bgs 95 sold for like 18,500 you know what the PSA 10 sold for? $57,000. The exact same card. And, you know, you look at them. I mean, look, it's an online picture. So I don't know if there was a noticeable difference, but this, I don't even think it was, a, I don't even think it was a BGS nine and a half min. Like it, it was like, you know, it might've been a true gem. And even if it's not, it's just like, it doesn't make sense that it's almost three X the value at this point. But that's kind of where we're at in the hobby right now. It's like a BGS nine five is like quickly becoming closer to a PSA nine yeah. than it is to being a PSA 10. Totally. Yeah. 100%. Um, there might be opportunity in that, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I, don't, I don't think it really should be that big a difference, but that is kind of where we're at. It is where we're at. And I've, I've, I've seen some of those uh, gaps between the two uh, the nine five and the 10. Um, it's wild. I want to talk about your diverse palette. I feel like I want to talk to you about this because it's something I can relate with where I like to collect. I like to have different streams going all at once. And I think it makes me smarter in the hobby because I'm not focused just on one area. I see different things. I like the look and feel of different types of cards, different sports, different players. Talk to me about just like I know you collect Kobe, you collect LeBron, you've got, you know, the Chargers gold set, which is awesome. You collect Russ Wilson. Talk to me about just like the reasons why you collect a lot of different types of cards and players. Well, I mean, 
I think for me, like, look, you can't PC everybody, right? Like when you're PCing somebody, you're really kind of getting deep into kind of their collection. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of players like I've watched, you know, over time that I just loved watching them, you know, as a fan. And a lot of those cards too, they're cards that I don't necessarily, I'm not married to keeping those cards forever, but I think they're, they're good investments. You know, we talk a lot about the investor versus the collector, right? And so when I PC Kobe, that's more me as a collector. Um, when I go by like a, I have like a Joe Montana BGS nine, you know, the 1980 tops rookie card, right? Like probably a great investment. Like Joe Montana was until I saw Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback I ever watched. When I bought the card, it was relatively cheap. I'm sure there's hundreds of other copies out there, but like, frankly, like Joe Montana relative to a lot of the modern day guys seemed cheap to me. So I bought it. You know, I love football. I love basketball. I have some vintage baseball stuff, right? So I'm a big Dodger fan, but I can't get too deep into modern baseball. There's just, there's a lot going on with baseball cards, but I, I own a Jackie Robinson, 1955 tops, you know, like in a, in a high grade, I've got a Sandy Koufax rookie and those old like fifties, you know, baseball cards, they look amazing. Like they're just, they're awesome in hand. Um, I don't have to go too deep on the the collecting with them. It's like, I own a little piece of something that I care about. Right. Mm -hmm. I bought, um, you know, I was listening to one of the crossover episodes, maybe six months ago. And Josh was just talking about how like everybody's buying the same things. Right. And you're seeing a lot of the same cards being posted over and over. And I just started thinking like, he almost like put a challenge out there, like go find something that not everybody else is kind of collecting. And, um, I bought this uh, Cassius Clay, you know, Muhammad Ali card from 1968 Panini. And it's like just, I mean, it's a PSA 8. And I think there's five graded higher on this card. And I saw, you know, on, on Card Ladder this morning, like, <laughs> card that's a few years earlier than that sold for like 200 grand. And I'm like, I think I paid 300 bucks for the card. But like, I saw a PSA 1 just sold for 350 bucks, right? And it, it's, it does go to show you, and you've seen it with wrestling, right? Like, um, uh, with Pokemon, a lot of these other things that might've been pretty niche, like six months or a year ago, you have people piling into these things because um, those things meant something to them, right? Like they grew up watching wrestling or maybe they actively watched wrestling. They collected Pokemon as a kid, their kids collect Pokemon. And so for me, I just like owning a little piece of, of, of some of these guys you know, I have a Mahomes rookie card. It's nothing like crazy. I've got the Optic Hollow PSA 10, but like I bought that one because I, I wasn't going to bet on the Super Bowl. And I was like, you know what? Instead of doing a Super Bowl bet this year, I usually do like one or two Super Bowl bets. I'm like, I'm just going to buy a Patrick Mahomes rookie card. And that'll be like my bet on the Super Bowl. Because if he wins, like he's probably going to go on and have this amazing career and I'll have this card. And um, I bought the card for 590 bucks. And so it was a good bet, right? Because you know, like, if I bet on the actual game, if I won, I would have just got money. And it's like, who knows what would have happened with the money. And if I'd have lost, it would have been like, well, it's gone. And, um, you know, instead I have this piece of cardboard that's like, you know, like eight to 10 X, like, you know, what I, what I paid for it. Total is okay. When you're, when you're setting out on like the Cassius clay or, you know, the Montana or whatever, is it, is it just a culmination of events that like leads you to be like, Oh, well, I'm going to go look into this player. Or so like, talk to me about just like, what is the impetus of that? Like diving into a new, new thing. Is it like influence from what's from people you're talking with? What, what, what makes you jump into a new collection? I, um, you know, I think it's a combination of things. Like I think some of it's just being inquisitive by nature. Right. So you probably spend as much time as I do on eBay, right? And um, you just kind of, you start clicking around, you see things, um, sometimes you hear things. So it's like, I'm always listening to kind of podcasts. I do the crossovers. You know, I've got friends in the hobby and they'll turn me on to things. And so in the end though, it kind of circles back, I think a lot of times to, uh, you know, what we talked about earlier, which is just having some connection to, whoever it is that you're collecting. Right. So, uh, you know, Muhammad Ali, when I was a kid was like, he was the Michael Jordan of sports, right? Like, um, uh, you know, so I, I connected with that, the Dodgers guys. I mean, that's the sport I grew up 
watching, you know, and collecting first. Um, I bought, I got into Wayne Gretzky again recently. So I posted a, a, a couple of those cards and I was actually born, I was born in Victoria, British Columbia. And so I lived in Canada till I was seven. You know, Wayne Gretzky was God when I was a kid, right? And so I moved to California in 1984. And so I bought the 1983 and the 1984 Wayne Gretzky cards because those kind of like represent like my last couple of years in Canada. And I actually had those cards when I was a little kid, you know, buying OPC, you know, hockey cards. That's awesome. Yeah, I think the uh, personal connection and those stories that you can wind back to it is super important. This has been fun. Maybe we close it out here. I love to get your insights. You're someone with a process, someone with passion, super knowledgeable, been in the game for a long time. Just what advice do you have for the hobby, the community in these unprecedented times that we're in with new acquisitions happening? Seems like every day, new things popping up that are serving as distractions for people who collect cards, prices that are all time highs every day. What what sort of advice do you have to anyone listening who uh, is uh, dealing with all of these changes? I, you know, I, I would say, you know, number one, do research, investigate the pop reports, ask your friends about, you know, their opinions on things. You know, don't value their opinions necessarily over your own, but, you know, ask questions. Beyond that, the other thing that I always try to avoid is just, when you see these cards that go hyperbolic, right? And you see these charts and the cards are three, four X in a very short period of time. Do not try to chase those cards. Those are not the cards you want to be buying. Those are the cards where the risk reward, you know, ratio gets out of whack and yet could keep going higher, but there's a good chance it's going to, it's going to kind of revert to the mean and, and, and pull back. So for me, I'd rather buy a card. I, I, I use, um, you know, card ladder is my primary research tool. So I use that um, as well as just, you know, searching eBay sold, sold cards, but try to buy things that, you know, exhibit slow growth. Um, those cards that go hyperbolic, there might be opportunity, but generally wait for a pullback when you see support on the card. Meaning if a card goes from $500 to $5,000 in two months, it's probably a healthy thing if it pulls back to $2,000 or $3,000 because cards just can't go, you know, three, four X in a short period of time. And unless there's something that's like, you know, like a Patrick Mahomes and you just like anticipate he's going to keep winning, winning, winning. If a card has never been that valuable in the past and there's no reason for it to really be that valuable in the future, it's probably going to pull back. And so don't try to catch a shooting star. You know, that's basically how you get burned. And um, so for me, it's looking for things that I think are undervalued that maybe not everybody's paying attention to. But um, ultimately, you know, the buy what you like mantra really holds true. You know, if you love the card, don't worry too much about what everybody else's opinion of, of things are. Um, everybody has different likes and interests. And ultimately, rarity married with kind of like iconic players. Uh, I think those things matter. And so those are things that I try to kind of stick to, right? So it's either got to be an iconic player or it's got to be a rare card or in a perfect world, it's some combination of those two things. Wise words. Before I let you off the hook, I got to know, you collect Russell Wilson. Where is Russell Wilson going to be playing football next season? (laughs) I was just reading as you know, if I had to bet, I'd say he's going to still be on the Seahawks. If he gets traded, I would believe he's most likely to go to the Raiders. And that's really just because I think the Raiders kind of have the combination of assets in terms of draft picks, as well as being able to send back a quarterback like Carr or Mariota, or they could take both, you know, as a collector, I think perfect world to go the Cowboys because I think all his cards, you know, for me would probably be two, three, four X like tomorrow if he was on the Cowboys. But, um, and you know, Jerry Jones is certainly crazy enough to kind of pull something like that off. But, uh, if I were betting, I'd say he's gonna stay in Seattle, you know, and if things deteriorate, then, you know, maybe he'll, you know, kind of force the issue next season. But if he is traded this year and, uh, there's more fire than than smoke here. I would bet that he goes to the Raiders. You might have to you might have to 
pull out some of those vintage uh, black and silver shirts from back, <laughs> back, back yeah, in the day. So I've got like, you know, as crazy as just I not, not to kind of drag things out, but I have all these Marcus Allen autographs, right? From when I was a kid. And I posted one last year. Um, I got them out and I posted a picture on my Instagram wall. And I kid you not, I had this work thing to play Pelican Hill, the golf course up in Orange County that same day. And so I'm, I'm getting on the cart and I look over to my left and there, there's Marcus Allen and he's with Eric Dickerson. And I walk oh, up to him and I'm like, Marcus, man, like I got your autograph when I was a kid. You won't believe this. Like I just, you know, I just posted this today. Like what are the odds? Like I haven't looked at these autographs in like 20 years. I post it and then I bumped into the guy like four hours later, that's, you know, at the golf course. That that's a lot of that's a lot of yards on the ground in that golf cart. Yeah, it was a lot of <laughs> yards on the ground in that golf cart. And um I'm sure they played better than me that day because I, I I did not play well. But it was uh it was a nice day. How are things in uh in Indianapolis? You still freezing there? Is win- winter still taking hold? I got I got to tell you man it is today his oddly enough it is 60 degrees in Indy and it's it looks like looks like it's about to storm right now but it's 60 my wife and I went on a little walk and we were talking about it it's like yeah well next week it's probably going to snow so it's just the nature of the beast out here well it's like 70 degrees every single day here and um every time I hear you start one of these episodes talking about how cold it is I'm like <laughs> I would give anything for a little weather. Like it honestly gets, it gets a little boring, you know, the 68 to 70 degrees. Like we have not had clouds in two weeks. I don't think. Living the, living the good life as the California card collector. Yeah. Yeah. Paying those, you know, those, those California taxes. You know? <laughs> That's right. Well, man, thank you so much for uh, the time. Everyone go check out California card collector on IG. If you're not already. A lot of fun, man. Have to get you back on to chat soon. Thanks, Brett. Have a good one. Thank you for having me. I am telling you what, I could have sat and talked with Sierra from comfortable California all day. Tons of insights, tons of nuggets. Just an incredible collection. Make sure you go hit follow on his Instagram page. I got to have him back on. Learned a lot. Make sure, if you're interested, sign up for that newsletter. Link in my bio on Instagram, also in the show notes. I'm going to be bringing it. Make sure you take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. Have a good weekend, and I'll be back next week. Peace.